Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys, just want to let you know that we're doing the draft recap in two parts. Here's part one. Hope you enjoy. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We're here to recap what was, for the most part, a successful, at least in in my opinion, draft for the Tennessee Titans. We're going to go through every pick. We're going to start at the top and just make our way through to the end, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, at NoNonsensePod, same on Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show wherever you're listening to get easier and faster access to all of our episodes. Guys, uh, before we get into individual picks, overall thoughts on the whole as a whole? I think it's solid. It's certainly not my favorite John Robinson draft class, but that really doesn't mean anything in terms of how they're going to play on the field and what their actual future is. Uh, but I liked what they got out of it. I thought they got some good values um, in the later rounds, and they filled a couple of needs that I think were were kind of necessary, especially uh, especially at cornerback, uh, backup running back, and then some D-line depth, and also backup quarterback, hopefully with Cole, McD- Cole McDonald, who we'll talk about later, but uh, it's one of my favorite picks. Yeah, you know, I think we got spoiled the last two drafts just because they were so fun. The Jeffrey Simmons and A.J. Brown and then Harold Landry and Rashawn Evans. Like, those are both guys that if you wanted to, like, get the instant gratification of, okay, I'm going to go look up their highlights right after they got picked. There was just so many good plays that I think this was more of let's let's patch the holes. Let's make sure we move from, you know, this, this is what we want to be. Let's make sure we can progress it and get good enough to make that formula beat teams like the Chiefs and the Ravens consistently. And I don't I don't think doing that is necessarily fun. But as a whole, I think I think this draft accomplished what it was trying to do. And I think that's really what it comes down to, Will. And we'll obviously get into this with each of the individual players. But, you know, even the parts of this class that I look back on and say – Eh, you know, not a huge fan, I can still understand how it fits into the overall picture, which, now I will say, this was a really good draft. I feel like after a lot of picks, you know, we, we were talking on, on on Friday night, I feel like after a lot of picks, we were saying, oh, you know, that's a really good pick. That makes a lot of sense. And, and other than the Packers taking Jordan Love, which we can get to that in our <laughs> Stop the Nonsense segment, um, 
every you know all, all I'm trying to say is everything the Titans did, even if I disagreed with it, I saw the rationale. Yeah, yeah, there weren't any like surprises or anything that made you scratch your head and go, I just well, why are they doing this? This doesn't make sense. Like you said, the Packers kind of had that draft, and there were a couple other ones, but John Robinson has never been one to stray from common sense. Uh, or from a logical approach so it, it kind of makes sense that yeah that, that's a that's the best part about John Robinson I think at least in in my book the fact that every single draft he just understands what the needs are uh and it seems like his understanding of the roster kind of coincides with the fans understanding of the roster um and I think that's really cool because I don't think that happens very often with a GM and we've seen how how important that is because a lot of these draft picks end up contributing down the road and a bunch of them are getting contract extensions uh, from the team uh, now a couple of years down the road. And, and that just is, is a real testament to, to him as a, as a drafter and just as an overall GM. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, and I don't, I don't know if we're going to get into this later or not. So I'll just kind of stay brief and surface level with it is I think one of the best things that this draft accomplished that nobody's going to talk about is setting up future drafts for success from a value standpoint by adding uh, the sixth round pick and then by not trading any future picks, which some teams did. So I think that was kind of a good non-move that isn't being talked about a lot that other teams made the mistake of doing. So that is one thing that I feel like we need to highlight. Yeah. Also a quick note it's really tough to draft when you're in at the 29th pick and you're at the bottom of the first round, bottom of the second round, bottom of the third round, every single round. It's just really tough, and it comes at the cost of, you know, well, that's a sacrifice of being a good team and drafting this low. Um, but, yeah, a lot of these really good players don't get pushed down to you, uh, and you have to find the values and, and find the right players that are going to fit your team maybe players that that you don't want necessarily because those guys go higher. Um, but in order to come out with a good draft class from a pick like that, I, I think it's uh, it's important. Well, it's also a, a testament to the parity in the NFL because you know the NFL is built to not allow sustained success, which I think is great because unlike some other leagues like you know, the NBA, Major League Baseball, it's not the same team dominating, <clears throat> I mean, outside the Patriots, year in and year out. I mean, even the best organizations like Seattle and Pittsburgh, I mean, they have their off years and years where they're just not that good. But let's get into the first pick, Isaiah Wilson, the tackle from Georgia. Will, I know you were not a fan of this. Matias, I don't think you're a huge fan of this. Um, so as we so often do, let's start with the negative. <laughs> I'm going to let Will start because even though we have probably oh, similar views, uh, I, I think the strongest, he most aggressive take. On probably, Mark. and because you've gotten you know killed by the fans because of your takes on this. So yeah, I, really, kind of like, I haven't noticed. Yeah, that. people people have not been particularly happy with me not liking a giant. I've been well, called it's like funny. a John Robinson hater, and I, <laughs> this is I, I gave him a C in my uh, or C plus in my draft rank or my draft grades, and I just saw a comment on that, and it said, "Finally, someone that knows what they're talking about giving this a P uh, or a C." Thank you, and so. 
I'm based on that and what I've seen, I would have thought the reaction would have been sort of along the lines of how we were thinking. I think part of it is like, I don't know if there's, if this is how it is for the whole fan base, but there's just a lot of sec bias and for good reason. Uh, so like you can look at John Robinson's last, you know, three drafts or whatever, and look at all the sec players he's taken high in the first two rounds. And it, it's good. It works out like th- those are almost always good players. The The problem is that I think on paper, it's really easy to make Isaiah Wilson look good uh, just because you're like, OK, what you're getting is this massive six foot six, 350 pound guy. And then immediately the next word that comes out of people's mouths is mauler. And that's because they don't they don't know how to watch offensive line film and they don't, they don't know what that means. And they see a big guy and they think he's got to be a mauler, which isn't really true. Like he's not, he's not an exceptional run blocker. He struggles with double teams. He just doesn't seem to have chemistry with the guards. And I think part of that is because I think they rotated guards, whether, whether it was on purpose or not at Georgia, I think they changed guards a few times and maybe there was consistency there. There was a problem, but, it's it's so many little things like it's not getting good pass sets it's doing things that are technically like unsound even though they might work at the college level it, it just things that you don't necessarily want from a pick in the first round like i i think wilson should have been a unanimous second round pick. i think he was my eighth offensive tackle or seventh or something like that i, I just i think i think he's going to be a guard like I think he tested like a guard. I think he plays like a guard. I think he's built like a guard. I just think that's where he's going to end up. So, you know, be be mad at that or, or whatever if you want to. But if this turns out with him becoming a Pro Bowl guard and with Dennis Kelly as their starting right tackle for the next three years, then everything's fine. But just understand that right now, if the plan is – you know, John Robinson saying we need a starter at right tackle, and I think that is the guy to do it. I think that's, I think, the grade for that thought and that the execution of that is a D. I just, I just don't think it makes any sense. I don't think what's on film matches what the Titans think they need. Yes, I, I agree. I, I've watched a couple of Isaiah Wilson games, and he's simply not better than Dennis Kelly is right now. I don't even, I don't think it's close to be honest with you. And I'm a little concerned. I was concerned on on draft night, the first draft night, because I thought we should have gone with a cornerback or an edge rusher or even a receiver at that spot because I just my rationale was we didn't lose the AFC championship game to the Chiefs because of our right tackle. We lost it because our pass rush got exposed, our receivers really couldn't get a lot of separation, and our cornerbacks kind of got destroyed the entire game. So that was my thought on draft night. Getting Christian Fulton in the second round kind of kind of changed that but that said me watching Wilson and how we performed in college last year and even the year before I just I'm concerned man because I don't see a quality starter at tackle right now and like Will has mentioned before on Twitter expecting Keith Carter our O-line coach to improve him and develop him is is asinine is incredibly insane in my opinion because name me one offensive lineman that has gotten better under Keith Carter to this point. Will you don't like Keith Carter? 
<laughs> yeah, that's it's like the strong stance we take now. I will say that one, we've of been fun- one of the funniest things I saw on Twitter all of uh, like last season was I think it was you, Matthias, from maybe the No Nonsense account. You posted like public enemy number one. Let's get yeah. the pitchforks and get him. And it was a picture of Keith Carter <laughs> after one of those <laughs> early games where the it's- Titans couldn't protect worth anything. It's just that the O-line was so bad. I don't know. But he's still employed, and we're expecting him to, you know, make Isaiah Wilson better, who very much is a raw project. Like, I don't think anyone Wait, could possibly deny that. And I think that's the sort of strange thing about this pick. It's because John Robinson is, like, the last person to fall in love with traits and athleticism over film. And, like, everything – I mean, I'm not an offensive line expert, so, you know, watching the film doesn't tell me a whole lot. So, you know, I read what people who are a lot smarter than me say, and everything I read points to this guy being a major project and and, and projection player. And, you know, Robinson was talking about he's big and strong and and fits our mindset, and it's like I think he fell in love with a body and a personality and not a football player. Do do you all agree with that? I think that's exactly what happened, and it's weird because he really hasn't drafted like that. I think the only pick maybe could be Kevin Dodd, but as we've talked about that before, that might have not even been his pick. So, you know, it's just weird. Rashawn Evans also comes to mind as a guy where, you know— He he was good in college, though. No, no, no. Yeah, he was good, but it's very much like— an outdated concept because yeah, getting a middle you, linebacker at getting that, a yeah. thumping middle linebacker that you trade up for and Rashawn Evans is good that pick worked so you know understand that this pick there's a good chance that this picks work pick works out I don't I don't think it's going to be very good but you know I that that doesn't mean anything you know like I, I can only tell you what I think is going to happen based off what I've seen John Robinson is you know, proven to this point that he knows more than 95% of the population. He's just better at his job than anybody else is. So, you know, the whole NJ Rob, we trust stuff like, you know, maybe it is more important that you get a guy who fully buys into your culture and whose mindset is, you know, I'm going to be this kind of guy. And, you know, maybe that just works out. I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's, sort of a psychological part of this game that I can't understand because I don't I'm not in those meeting rooms but the, there is no doubt that he's taken guys who are team captains long-term starters guys who've been part of successful units and he brings them in and they play better at the NFL level in the next 18 months than they did in college so and not not very many coaches do that or GMs can find guys like that consistency consistently. So, you know, like I said, it it was very not heartbreaking, but demoralizing, I guess is a better term because it was a position that I didn't feel needed to be upgraded over a position like corner. I think we all on this podcast wanted Gladney or maybe somebody like Maybe Epineza or Yeter Gross Matos or a wide receiver. Like I don't know what we all thought in the moment, but I think Gladney made the most sense. But he well, he thought he could get a better corner in the second, and he you know he did. Yeah. Let me say this about 
because I did a, a little periscope on Friday before the second round, and I had a couple fans pop in and ask me, Titans fans, not me fans, I don't have fans, uh, pop in and <laughs> ask me, um, well, should they have taken an edge? I'm like, no, because especially, and I made a point, these same people who were coming to me and being like, they should have taken A.J. Epinesa or, the, or Yatir Gross Matos are the same people who are like, we got Clowney in the bag. And so it's like, mm-hmm. what? why do you need both? Because you already have Harold Landry, Kamale Correa, and Vic Beasley, right? There's three. Uh, you know, One's still on his rookie contract. The other two you're paying. Then the third, the fourth would be Clowney in that case. You got two good depth pieces in Derek Roberson and Reggie Gilbert. And you only have two two rushers on each play. Because that's, that's their counter. It's, you could never have too many good pass rushers. Yeah, you can because you can only use so many on a given play. And, if you have 12, that's too many. <laughs> yeah. And and so I, I, and, you know, I did that article series. Some of you probably saw that if you follow me on Twitter where I was going through and looking at the pros and cons of each position. And to be completely honest, as I was doing that, the one that I got to that I struggled the most to come up with the pros and the cons just sort of float off the tongue or off the fingers if I'm typing, I guess, was Edge. I just never really was convinced that that made a whole lot of sense, despite what some people thought. I think that's fair, and it worked out for this draft because none of the edges, none, none of the edges popped off tape, or at least made you feel good about them. And it's, I mean, this wasn't a deep class at that position either. Like this was a really bad. This was one of the worst ones I've, I think I've seen. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a long time, man. Because like Chase Young is a stud, obviously, but Chase on we had, we had doubts. Yeter Gross Gross Matos, like I thought he was good, but at his ceiling was probably like. Derek Morgan, in my opinion, who I love, but I, I don't know how high you're really taking Derek Morgan. Uh, and there were other players. Zach Bond, we we liked, but we had we had some some questions about him as an actual uh, edge prospect, and and it, it was just it, it was a weird a weird year at that position, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think I, I don't I don't know if this was just me, but I've always thought. Uh, not always, but since the last season, that what they needed was a guy who could stay at defensive end on the first you know, edge uh, on the first two downs, and then kick to defensive tackle on the third down. Like yeah. they need a, a bigger body, a James AKA Lynch and AJ Vanessa. Yeah, a, exactly what Clowney would provide because that's where they struggled. Is they were too light. You know, they if they want to get. Trading Casey is an easy decision to make if you think you can get somebody like that because you make him redundant immediately because his only job on the Titans this year would have been as a nickel pass rusher or like a backup rotational three technique that just took Jeffrey Simmons off the field. And that's not worth $12 million. So that that was an easy decision, and all they had to do was replace that. Which is why it is really strange that they didn't do it when they had plenty of opportunities to. But I mean, that we can go into conspiracy theories later. But it's hard for me to believe they do that without thinking they have at least a higher than fifty percent chance that they're going to be the ones that sign Clowney. And you know, yeah, I think the, so. As the draft rolled on, like you know, get to the fourth, fifth rounds, I was hearing people say. They, they really need to get an edge at some point. I'm like, no, they don't. If anything, they needed a, like, starting edge. They have no use for depth edge. 
I, like, I like once the I first round that. was over, the window on Edge making any sense ended, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think Bond was maybe the only guy in like the third round, um, but that was because he was versatile. Like he's a guy that could also play uh, outside linebacker, off ball linebacker, uh, but he could he could rush off the edge with with relative efficiency um, on those passing downs. So yeah, I I I agree with that. I mean, people people forget that, and I, I guess it makes sense because he didn't play last year, but. You've got DeAndre Walker, who we've talked about a dozen times, who, you know, he was kind of Darrell Taylor before Darrell Taylor, the guy who went top 50 to the Seahawks who played for the balls. Like, he's a, you know, pretty productive, consistently seven, eight sack guy in the SEC who, when he's on, is great. And he's got the frame to fill out to be, you know, 265 pounds, 270 pounds, whatever he wants to be, and he's long-limbed. Like, that, that, they have that guy. So they've got that guy. They've got Harold Landry. They've got Roberson, who people forget about. And then you get Correa yeah. and Vic Beasley. It's like you don't have room for just any – and then you've got Reggie Gilbert. So you don't have room for just any edge. It has to be like a guy who can do multiple things for you. Yeah, like, it has to be an impact guy. Like a yeah. guy who's actually going to change games, and you're not getting that in the fifth round of the NFL draft. Yeah, a- absolutely. So it's like it's either in, you know, maybe they think it, we should go on with the picks, but like maybe they think they can get that out of Murchison later is a guy who can play some, you know, situational ed- or situational defensive end, quote unquote, in their four man looks. Let's move on now to the, the next Titans pick in the second round, which. I would think we'll be a little higher on Christian Fulton, the cornerback out of LSU. Look, guys, this was something they desperately needed, and I, I, I still have a problem with the fact that they were with such a, a, a drastic need that they were kind of willing to say, well, "We'll wait and see." I mean, it worked out, so I guess you can't question it in hindsight. Um, but again, brutal, brutal roster need that that I think if this guy works out, is filled. Yeah, I mean, I wanted him in the first round. I wanted him at twenty nine. I wanted him or Gladney. So the fact that we were able to get him in the second round is is wild to me. Uh, it's amazing, uh, and it, it just made so much sense uh, for him to be the pick. Uh, and you saw John Robinson kind of do a fist bump, fist pump uh, when when he made that pick. Uh, on the camera, probably because he didn't think he was going to be there. I don't think anyone thought he was going to be there. It was very weird. I don't know why he slipped this far. I, I think I read a report that uh, Fulton and AJ Terrell were like, like scouts were kind of down on them because of their college football playoff performances. But AJ Terrell went 16th, and that guy's way worse than Christian Fulton. So I don't know. What was behind this this drop? I thought Fulton was a t- top twenty talent. Uh, I tweeted that a couple days before the draft. I just think he's really good in press coverage. He rarely gets beaten deep because he's always on the receiver. Uh, he's active and he has strong hands in press coverage. He just follows receivers very very well. Uh, he's the best tackler, but what does that really all that matter that much anymore? Uh, but I think this is just a really outstanding pick and outstanding value. Yeah, 
it's he's one of those guys when you watch him, you notice how often he has to be the one that slows down because he's faster than the receiver he's covering. Like he stays in the back hip pocket, which which we talk about a lot, which just means like he doesn't play over the top of people, which if you do that, those are the people that you see flying off the screen when New Hopkins like does his like stop routes that just completely run by him. Like those guys are good sometimes if you really don't want to get burned. But if you want a guy who can really compete, you know, against every route on the route tree, like snap in and snap out, like you want somebody who can play in that back hip. And Fulton can do that. Like I I don't want to say he's like I don't want to kind of like backtrack and do like try to make him sound better than he is because the Titans got him, but he is very exceptionally talented. Like I think the reason he fell is because people were afraid of his drug test, which he got popped with. And mm-hmm. there's a whole weird story behind that. But at the end of the day, if he smokes weed, that's fine in the NFL now. Like that's not <laughs> it doesn't a thing. even matter anymore. So, yeah. So <laughs> like the the I don't know if they're rumors or whatever, but all the information I understand is that he, like the drug test he got suspended for had nothing to do with PEDs or anything like that. It was all just marijuana related. So. You know, in that case, that's fine. Like, let him smoke every time he goes home as long as he doesn't get arrested for it. You know, Tennessee, it is illegal, but I, that that should not have been a problem. And then on top of that, you've got – he's 5'11". He's got the frame you want. He's athletic, like you can see it on tape. He's proven it on film. He played against the Clemson receivers, the Alabama receivers, the Florida receivers. I mean, he, he's done it against everybody, and that's just last year. So – he also I mean, ran a four four six, and he's twenty one years old. Like I don't, I don't understand why he fell. I really don't. Yeah, and and he was he's been really productive in terms of, and maybe that's it is he's been really productive in terms of pass breakups, but he doesn't necessarily have the interceptions. Yeah. But you know, Robinson values pass breakups more than he values interceptions because that means you're getting your hand on the ball. Like if you come down with it or not is a completely different skill set. And it's great if you have that, but the most important job a corner can have is to make sure that his receiver doesn't catch the ball. My man catch no balls like that. That's that is the mandate. Just like an offensive lineman's job is if uh, on run plays, you're supposed to make sure you can push your guy forward. And on pass plays, you're supposed to make sure your quarterback doesn't get hit. Like how you do it is, you know, the difference in a first rounder and a third rounder. But at the end of the day, the job is the job. So he does his job exceptionally well. Uh, I mean, and, and I said not to do this after the after Wilson was picked, but it's one of those things where every year it seems like if you just switch the Titans' second-round pick and their first-round <laughs> pick, you're happy with their draft, even if you didn't agree with the first-round pick at the time. And that, this is another one of those years, and – I mean, I guess credit to John Robinson for just being able to completely understand what's going to happen on day two. But for those of us that have to live through the Thursday night of after the, the first round of the draft, it's it's pretty tough on us. Well, I'll, I'll say two things. Number one, I saw some stuff leading up to the draft from guys like Daniel and Jeremiah who were basically saying that because there were no pro days, because general managers couldn't communicate through that, that the draft was going to be shocking throughout, and guys were going to go that we didn't expect, and the mock drafts nailed it. I mean, yeah. there wasn't really anything that shocking. There were plenty of mock drafts that had Jordan Love going to the Packers that I remember seeing. So this thing was not terribly shocking, other than maybe Fulton falling. So I'll say that, number one. 
And number two, I'll pose a question. Is this the slot corner? Because Fulton said in his conference call uh, that that was the first thing the Titans asked him is, can you play the slot, which he did as a freshman at LSU. Is he the starting slot corner, or is it either Butler or Jackson? Because, I mean, for whatever my opinion's worth, you want four four six speed on the perimeter. Unless, you know, I see it's tough because the slot receiver is changing. I I think he can. Like, he can certainly play the slot, but I wouldn't play him there because I don't think you're maximizing his potential. He's just so good at tracking receivers on deep routes that I want him on the outside. And we've seen Adoree kind of get get lost on, on a couple deep routes uh, throughout his career. Uh, I, I know we've seen him in the slot, and Adoree has struggled there at times, but I just feel like that would give you a better uh, setup on the defensive well, end. I think here's a good way to frame this. I would say the two best slot receivers in the NFL are Michael Thomas and Chris Godwin, right? Yeah, yeah. Would you? So who of the who of the Titans three? Well, Tyreek, uh, yeah, but Tyreek Hill's not a slot. I mean, they play him everywhere, but he's not a yeah, slot receiver. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, of of the Titans' big three, Butler, Jackson, and Fulton, who who would you like to cover that guy? But you know, for uh, if it's Michael Thomas or Chris Godwin, I think. Well, if it's Michael Thomas or Chris Godwin, it's probably Malcolm Butler, right? Yeah, I would because they're so. not going to really beat you with speed. They would they would beat you more with you know route running and and contested catchability. I mean, can, can Butler play the slot though? Has he ever done that? Yeah, I, mean, I don't okay, understand so why anyone can, why everyone can't. I, I think I just don't get that. It's a lot of it's change direction and a lot yeah. of it's understanding. Like if you're if you're on the boundary and there's one, like let's say your wide receiver lines up on the hash mark and there's only one receiver to that side, there's only a certain number of patterns that can be run out of that until something shifted over in motion. And being able to understand that immediately within five seconds of the snap and just understanding how to play that is, you know, part of its experience, part of it's just having the athletic ability to do stuff. But Isn't that what Butler he, is? I mean, he's not that fast. He's not that big. He wins because of technique. I mean, he like – He's played in the slot before. Like, uh, my answer for this is not Malcolm Butler, but, like, it's not because I don't think he can do it. I think the best way to use Fulton and Adoree Jackson, because I believe Adoree Jackson has historically played on the left side, whereas the same, where that's the same side that Fulton's played on. So if you want to maximize the potential, I think what you do is you leave Butler on the right side and you just say, okay, you know, you handle your business over here. Then on the left side slash in the slot, you alternate depending on matchups. Is it a guy who's got you know more deep speed but isn't as quick? Then I probably put uh, a Dory on him. If it's a guy who's quicker and who I need somebody who they can react and break in front of the ball and knock it away, I probably go Fulton. But I mean that's that's something they can figure out in camp. But that's how I would use him with two guys who have played left corner for the majority of their career and, you know, one guy who's kind of done everything. I like that because I really don't think you have to have a dedicated slot corner. I mean, Logan Ryan was kind of, but he played outside at times when we need him to or when the matchup dictated that. So I, I don't think we need to have a dedicated one uh, that if we kind of like Nikel Roby Coleman, he would have been a dedicated because he can't play on the outside. 
All right, everyone, that's the end of part one. Be sure to stay tuned for part two in just a couple of days when we're going to talk about my personal favorite pick of the Titans draft class. I gave him an A in my draft grades that I did on A to Z Sports Nashville.com. And so we're going to hop into that. You still got Stop the Nonsense coming up. It's going to be a great finish to our draft recap episode. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And thank you for listening to part one. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.